from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Bonnaroo changes COVID plans. Nashville clubs stand together. And COVID tour cancellations. You're listening to The The Biz Biz Tape. Welcome to episode 46 of The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Joe, with my co-host, Colin. Colin, what is that? I'm sticking it through. <laughs> I'm are. like, I can tell. Barely. Yeah. It's also very hot because I think oh my our God, air conditioning is, so is out. Hot. Um, so we here outside in the house, anywhere. It, thanks, global warming. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, to that and just living in Nashville in general. That's true. I feel like it's always been hot here. Even as a kid, I remember we hit that point. You hit that point in summer where it's just like, okay, we're done. Yeah, pretty much. It's like the fun's over. And in Nashville specifically, it's like two weeks of fun. And then everyone's like, all right. I'd say most in the South, it's like that. There's like a, it's like really, it's not even summer. It's like post spring is here. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, you can see some posts spring up. (laughs) <laughs> on our Whoa. socials at the biz tape wherever you have socials all right I guess. that was a lot like we yep. <laughs> circle back now <laughs> yeah biz but, tape everywhere baby yeah but besides that besides media in general we have a lot of changes coming to bonnaroo with their covid plans so in a turn of events bonnaroo has announced that it will be requiring vaccine status and a negative COVID test prior to entering the festival grounds and has asked all non-vaccinated concert goers to please wear a mask. Oh, that's going to work. Yeah, yeah. As we all know, 
asking these people to please wear masks. It's definitely going to work. It's the please that gets them. Yeah, it's, you know, they really think about <laughs> it. They really care. But this decision comes as more and more cases of the Delta variants of COVID are surging in the South. And Bonnaroovians who need to get tests will have to get a negative test dated 72 hours prior to the event. So a lot like Lollapalooza. So another festival that's doing a similar action is Summerfest that takes place in Milwaukee. And this fest has announced that it will be increasing their sanitizing stations as well as hiring more hands to clean high-touched areas. So Colin... First off, I guess we should talk about how Bonnaroo's kind of, I feel like, seen what's going on, right? I think they see how Lollapalooza handled yeah. it and the kind of the fallout of that, and they're kind of adapting. But what do you think about them having these steps, like taking these steps, and do you think they're effective? So, first off, I mean, it, Lollapalooza is being a trendsetter. It seems to me that other festivals are following suit and going like, oh, this seems to be, you know, kind of what we universally agree should kind of be the requirements for this. And obviously there's public health and visual officials involved, but it's not necessarily that. I think it's also just like it's an open enough window that it doesn't turn off a lot of people who are unvaccinated and so they can get their tests. Also a big difference I was going to add is because Bonnaroo is in Manchester which is pretty much nowhere if you've never been to Tennessee, Manchester, Tennessee. Yeah. And then there's... It's a big field. Yeah, and then Lollapalooza, Chicago. So, like, it's interesting to see that because, you know, I joked on the last pod about how, oh, you can go in Chicago the day of and maybe get your test or whatever. And it's like, Manchester? Eh, mm, yeah. Your luck is running dry. So maybe that kind of hit their decision in terms of trying to figure it out because they thought, well, we got to give them 72 hours because I don't think a lot of people are going to even have the ability to get a test in Manchester. Not like they were going to get the ability to get in Chicago because the systems were overrun, Mm -hmm. but more of like there was some chance in Chicago and now there's like zero in Manchester. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I also think at the end of the day, it just comes down to legality. It's like we have on paper that we are trying to omit COVID So if anybody comes up and they're like, I got COVID at my festival, I was severely injured or worse, you know, my... It's more of like an at your own risk situation. It's like a we tried and it seems like people accept that and go, okay, well, they they did say that. So we can't really come at them with our lawsuits if I'm in the hospital with COVID or worse. It's like my, you know, spouse or my friend was at Bonnaroo and they died and now I'm suing for them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So... I, I think it's a legality thing at the end of the day in terms of the window. Obviously, I do want to stress there's definitely public health officials involved in determining this and all that kind of stuff. But the strength of how Lollapalooza was able to go off, not have you know a catastrophic immediate backlash towards it, and then also have the ability to dissuade away people who are getting COVID from it seems to be a trendsetter in terms of festivals. I think 72 hours is going to be staying for a lot of bigger events like this, just because of the logistics of testing the end of the day. You should have your vaccine. Yeah. So I hope that that, so if you can't get a test, it's kind of, so that's kind of what I'm thinking. But at the end of the like, like what I'm saying is, is that the vaccine is easier in terms of proof. It's like, I have this card. That's it. This card, or even a picture go, of a card I mean? at this point. Yeah, know? I'm sure they would take a picture of the card, but 
when you have that population that's unvaccinated, sadly, especially after having a terrible year in live events, these people are having these questions of what is my morality saying about getting unvaccinated people together versus like what each person has in their, you know, own moral compass to be like, I'm going, I'm not going. And how are we going to make this profitable to have a terrible year be, you know, completely not in our radar anymore. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to smash it with ticket sales and all this kind of stuff. Cause everybody's hype. How do you think they're going to enforce this? Like they're going to enforce the mask wearing. It they, sounds like they're just politely asking. I don't, I think, don't gonna... think they are. It kind of is, you know, when we go out in the town or something, we always joke, you know, resident only parking. And if there's not a parking decal, then no one's going to know that you don't live there. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing with the vaccination. Or so you just like, have to get through the gate. Pretty much, I think. As unless, long as you have the door code, you're you're fine. I mean, <laughs> unless that would be interesting to think, but I feel like it would be too much of a turnoff on a large scale event is let's say you went through the door and you got obviously your wristband, whatever level of your like VIP GA. But then what if you got like a vaccine wristband? And then mm-hmm. that was like, you don't have to wear a mask or something. Um, I think that would be interesting to see if people, if how they would enforce that in a large scale event. And also if people would be more comfortable going to the event, maybe like you would maybe get people who are like, Oh wow, look, there's like actually a level of security here when it comes to my health and safety Mm -hmm. in terms of the virus of COVID. Yeah. I think unfortunately in this situation, I think that's a good idea. And I think that maybe festivals, like closer to like mid fall, we'll start maybe doing that depending on the backlash. I, I of, really think it's a size thing. Yeah. I, I think it comes down to the logistics of the size. How quick a turnaround can they get these bands? Well, you know, made and I mean, you gotta like, we're talking about that and the logistics of getting a festival together and being like, this is our thing that we're doing at this festival. Or are you guys down for that and everything? But more of what I'm talking about is the logistics of hiring people to be the police in this case and go around and be like, Hey, where's your mask? Mm-hmm. Where, where is it? I don't see a wristband. I, you know, I'm sorry you're getting out of here. Cause I'm sure people are leaping at that job where it's like, you want to go meet a bunch of people that are around a bunch of other people who are may or may not be infected. And then you have to piss them off. <laughs> no. So that's why they won't do it. But like, if you're in a small club, you know, I would say sub a hundred people. You could probably a, do that. Yeah, it's a bit easier to enforce. Right. I mean, you could have like four or five people. And at least to me, that is more of a trying than just like we told you yeah. that you have to do this. Well, speaking of clubs and speaking of Nashville, Nashville clubs stand together to require vaccines. So as the variant surges in the South, Nashville is beginning to see some of the worst uh, as hospitals begin becoming overcrowded once again. And although many clubs on Nashville's Broadway seem to pretend the virus never existed, 10 Nashville venues have band together to require vaccine status as their shows or negative COVID tests like Bonnaroo, like Lollapalooza, like all these other festivals. So these 10 include the five spot, the basement, the basement East, exit in the East room, D country cocktail lounge, which I've never been to. Never D's. heard of D country. Yeah. Cocktail uh, city winery and three venues making up the cannery complex, which are the cannery ballroom, mercy lounge and the high watt. And third and Lindsley announced that it will require status based on the requests from the acts that are books that booked there. So Tessie currently has one of the lowest rates of fully vaccinated populations mm-hmm. with only about 40% 
40th out of 50 states. Uh, yeah, top 10. Yeah. So uh, that are fully vaccinated, according to the Mayo Clinic. So on Friday, Nashville Mayor John Cooper said that 571 new cases of COVID-19 were confirmed in the city over the last 48 hours. Nice. And that number Love seems that. to just be increasing by the day. So kind of what you were saying about enforcement I do feel like this is easier to enforce, right? Because you're going to have like you're going to have a guy at the front, you're going to have security at the front. Like it's just making sure you do. have your vaccine card yeah. or a photo of your vaccine card. Yeah, I'm sure if you're at Bonnaroo and you're like one of the volunteers they go here here's a card and you don't you don't really look at it. I could probably put any I could put a flash card in front of some of those people's yeah, faces. Yeah. I remember going through Bonnaroo's like security and it was literally volunteers. Well, yeah. Like, I don't even think there were like licensed security people that well, checked I, our car when for I weapons and stuff. When I worked Bonnaroo, I was like, I, I went through the real security, and those people don't mess around. Yeah, like that's the you know like the kind of. But that the you campground security yeah, is like you can super go anywhere. So like you're you're hitting it right on the nail. It's these smaller venues. I feel like the logistics of having that, and I feel like that's more appealing too because if you're really COVID conscious, these are smaller venues in the first place. Like. I d- if Bonnaroo somehow had like a way of being like, we have hundred percent verified that the people who are wearing masks uh, are unvaccinated people. And then whoever you see without a mask on is vaccinated. I feel like if you're COVID concerned, you'd be like, yeah, there's still thousands of people here, but you might be able to, if it with like 20 or 30, you yeah. know what I mean? Or like a hundred or 200. Well, so, do you think it'll spread easier in these clubs? Though, since it is a confined space and the air is circulating, you know, I'm not a health professional to say. I, I, I kind of can see both arguments. I could see it's close. You're closer together, that kind of stuff. But I can also see it's like you're a Bonnaroo. You're meeting with so many different people that it's just like you're rolling the dice more. So I don't know what necessarily would be healthier. I assume based on just trends of let's not have giant events and let's have small more boutique style events when the pandemic was like really raging on which it still is but like when we were actually really concerned about the pandemic raging on Mm -hmm. those kind of boutique shows were still going on and people are like it's okay because the people are less in number and they're wearing masks but no one was going to let a bonnaroo size slide through and just be like yeah there's four thousand people here and they're all wearing masks and they're all you know Nobody cares. Or, you know, multi tens of thousands of people is what I should say. Yeah. So I I think it's a good move in terms of marketing for the venues. I do like that they've kind of banded together in that way. Well, I think it's important, too, because these are venues that are in the South and in a state that is, you know, pretty close to the last on the list. Well, we have to look at those, too, is we've talked about, obviously, political spectrum and genre before but a lot of those venues that we've listed here are more towards not one most of them are not specifically just country venues you're noticing that and they're local music yeah so these are indie people these are pop or but you people you know people who are trying to get more of a general crowd than someone who's attracted to a niche of a particular genre Mm -hmm. so i feel like it's very important for them obviously because they're a smaller venue they've experience the hardship of COVID-19 to an extreme amount compared to some of these larger companies. So they've seen what it can do like do to their business. So they're just not going to play around with it. And I kind of applaud them for that. 
Do you think they should have been doing this from the start, though? That's that's a question that I'm wondering myself. Uh, I mean, we've seen recently New York City and uh, New York State is starting to require, and if you're gathering in California, if you're gathering in groups like this, that you just have to be vaccinated to go in, mm-hmm. and. That that's the thing that's interesting because especially with COVID nineteen, but also the music industry, we don't know where the burden was supposed to be. So it's like, well, it's the burden is on the government to make us require this across because if I just do it in my venue, then I just lose customers, the people who don't have to show their vaccine cards or something. That's probably what the argument would be. But then the other thing is like, well, you can't be that you can't be like looking out into the ether and just hoping that someone comes up for the solution. You have to be the solution. So I like this idea of them banding together. Now I wish I I do wish to answer the question fully that it was sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you are banned specifically from going to events, then that might up your chance of getting a vaccine because that's the thing many people have missed is the events industry. And I feel like we're at this point where I was talking about it actually at work at the production company. I feel like we're at this point where we know people want shows. Mm-hmm. Like we know it. It's not like one of those things where when we started kind of opening up, people were in the music industry were hesitant to put a lot of requirements because they were afraid that it's like, well, everyone's had this, economic huge life shift happened to them in the year and a half, which means their spending habits might change. Mm -hmm. So we want to make this as easy as possible for them to fold into the mold. But the demand is just, but the demand is so astronomical that they will, people will still go to concerts. It's not like they're like, fuck y'all we're going to the movies. No, like, (laughs) so they, I think we're at this point where we're going to go see bolt two. Right. Exactly. With uh, Noah Cyrus instead of Miley. No, Uh, (laughs) but what I'm saying is that I feel like we've, we're comfortable now in the music industry, especially on the live side with being like, this demand is not going away. It's so high that people will get vaccinated for it. Mm-hmm. And that people will actually entertain the idea of getting their friends to get vaccinated. And I don't have a potential to get my whole staff infected. Yeah. So I think it's great overall. I actually asked uh, this week on our Instagram, we do a poll. I asked because it's been interesting to watch consumer perception change when it comes to vaccine requirements for venues. So I just asked our fans and it was about 87% of people said they would be okay with the idea of, of venues uh, requiring vaccines. Mm-hmm. So like the idea of venues being able to do that. Yeah. I only got like a 13, but I feel like if I went back about three months ago, people would have been like, Oh, I don't know about that. You yeah. Know? And I feel like it has but now to do they with, see that it works or at least that there's not as much not. vaccine hesitancy. Mm-hmm. And then also on top of that, I think we've seen that this battle for vaccines is an uphill battle. It was, you know, obviously in the beginning of when we started giving out vaccines, it was like, wow, the numbers of people who are getting vaccinated are so high. But now we're like at the point where we're begging the people who are adamantly refusing or just really don't want to get it or lazy to get it. So now people are like, okay, well, my dream of everyone being vaccinated so easily is dying in my head. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's we definitely as a country did not hit our target that we were supposed to hit. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. So here we can go to the next thing about it because I it, this has mostly been a COVID show because the Delta strain has really been a big just test. crazy yeah well it's been a big test for a lot of the music industry because there's been rumors are are we shutting down again mm-hmm. what's going on with it so I thought you know you got you were kind of micro let's go macro with it um, so first off we've seen a lot of bands very concerned about what's going on with their tours and a lot of their parties because they're around hundreds of people a night get sick. One thing I did notice, which is really interesting is that a lot of them, I think what's very interesting is the way they handle telling fans now. Yeah. It used to be, I feel like a while ago, even actually here's a good example. Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones, who's one of the oldest Rolling Stones uh, members. He's been drumming them for, I don't know, 50, 60 years. He is off the tour for this year. It's not because of COVID. It's because he has like another medical surgery that he needs to do. Mm-hmm. And they announced, they said, this man will not be here. And this is why he has a medical surgery and stuff like that. And I feel like if they canceled the whole, sh- whole show, let's say, instead of substituting the man, they would have been like, we're not playing because Charlie has a medical surgery. But it's interesting to watch that a lot of these people now, they don't name who gets sick. 
Yeah. It's it, like they give an anonymity to it. And sometimes it's like, for instance, we got Counting Crows uh, postponed performances in Boston and Ohio just hours before showtime claiming a positive COVID case in their touring party, mm-hmm. which I know is broad. It could be a tech. It could be like, you know, a lighting engineer. It could be wardrobe, something like that. But I feel like back in the day, if we went further, we would have been like, my front of house engineer, we, like we don't have the crew to do this show or that, that would have been kind of it. Or, you know, uh, our guitarist, Mick Mars, you know, going back to Montley crew is, uh, sick. So we can't do the show, but it's interesting to see that amenity there. Here's some other things that were closed. We got new Orleans jazz fest, which is a very, very big festival. If you don't know about it has closed quote, due the current exponential growth of new COVID cases in new Orleans in the region, which if you look at the map of the United States, uh, the entire state of Louisiana is the darkest red. Yep. Um, then we got Limp Biscuit, which shout out to my man, Fred Durst, which I've mentioned multiple times for that <laughs> new look. Keep going. Uh, and then Michael Buble have canceled all their August shows. And then we have Leonard Skinner nixing four shows in Ohio, Mississippi, and Georgia and Alabama after their guitarist uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Again, the only one out of that whole list that says what's going on. Like he's like, this guy got sick. Mm -hmm. Um, Sebastian Bach has also announced that he has tested positive after several shows on Twitter and he's canceled various many shows. So like these big bands are getting sick. And then one of the most notable ones was fallout boy pulled out of the hella mega tour, which is a giant tour between them green day and Weezer. Um, so that, and that tour was supposed to go a year ago and that's a big money tour. So for them to drop out is a big deal in terms of like, it's a third of the bill and they're yeah. all pretty much like triple headliners. So yeah, that must be really difficult for, you know, if you're on the tour and everything. And so, yeah, it's just insane. And we've seen what well, you, I think you mentioned it in the uh, venue section is that there's bands that are now requiring vaccines versus venues. Yeah. Which is interesting. They require it in like their tour agreements right. and stuff. And I think that's such a, I think that's a smart idea. I mean, for public health, obviously, but a lot of the people that have done it, I, I don't mean to be this cynical, but it's like a lot of people who have done it who are like, my show is vaccine, like only vaccine only. I'd be like, yeah, your fans are not going to surprise me that they're the ones getting vaccinated. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's never like someone I'm like, Ooh, really? <laughs> like, like, like I'm like, your fan base would be the people. Ted get Nugent, really? Yeah. Ted Nugent that would be a shocker. Although even he, I, I read a thing on Rolling Stone that like he came out and said he got COVID and that he hated it. And he was like complaining well, the whole time. So I'm glad he wasn't like, I'm stronger now. Yeah. But like that's that's one thing I, I do think these people are catching it right that are so anti-vaccine, anti-COVID and stuff. But then like they're starting to realize the nuances and like the the risk that's involved with this virus. I definitely you know because they're seeing it firsthand. I mean you have to think that a lot of tours when this first started out got pulled off immediately because mm-hmm. they're like every state is shutting down and you know a live nation or an aeg was like the show's getting canceled sorry and the venues were like we're closing so a lot of these artists haven't seen this firsthand before yeah but now they get to see it which i actually was going to go into this it's really scary i feel like because there's a kind of a perceived safetyness when you're with your road crew or artists but honestly those are the people that i would be scared of the most if i was on the road just because you're around them the most. 
Yeah. And like, you're kind of chill with them. You might take your mask off maybe if like, but like that, that's where a lot of these people are getting sick. Is like on the tour bus, you know, it's that perceived scariness of, Oh, all the COVID's out in the audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you don't know where that guy went on his break. You don't know what he was doing. You know, like, I don't know what the monitor engineer was doing in between my set. He probably got lunch or dinner somewhere. Yeah. I hope he wore a mask. I hope he's vaccinated. You know what I mean? So a lot of these people get infected in these touring parties and it's just this weird thing for a lot of people to deal with because there's such safety and community and who you in tour your group with. and everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, from touring a little bit, it's just like, yeah, I it mean, they're be, basically your family for like, you know, like a, a couple of months where you, you see them every day, every every minute of the day sometimes, right. you know? So it would be... And you're in very enclosed spaces all the time. And it's hard to be, as from someone who's been, you know, working a live entertainment during this, it's like, it's hard to be on 24-7 when it comes to COVID. Yeah. But you have to be, especially in that scenario, because in some ways it's not as bad as like a hospital, but it's a hotspot. So it's, you know, you kind of get these moments where maybe you're talking with somebody with a mask on, or maybe you're just trying to say something and uh, have, have it be heard correctly through your mask and you pull your mask down and you're like, shit, that could have got me right there. Yeah. You know? So do you think, where do you see the future of touring? Do you think? Cause I personally, I think that, these hot zones are just going to get hotter and then tours are just going to avoid them for a while. So that has been an interesting discussion to see because I have seen, if you were listening to what I was talking about, there's like regional shows that are canceled specifically. Yeah. And it's a combination like jazz fest said, it's literally because we're based in new Orleans, but, but it would be, it would be very difficult as an artist or their management or promoter to be like, specifically let's talk about Nashville. Like specifically we will not be going to Nashville because COVID-19 is just destroying that place and we're going to have nothing to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that would be like if they didn't have a show and that would just be mean. that would just come out of nowhere. If somebody just tweeted that, but if they had a show there and they're like, we're canceling it, they, they don't say it's like we're canceling it specifically because of Nashville, but that's definitely a part of the play. Yeah. You know, obviously, I think people think more macro with it. They think, well, the timing with COVID and across the country, it's been so big and huge in terms of spreading and stuff. But some of these people are making calls based on more fine factors than that. They're making calls like specifically here. It's really bad. So we're going to cancel this show at this time. Mm -hmm. It's not just like COVID's bad in general. Like they have favoritism. So I it, that's why I'm interested in the California and New York thing to see if there's maybe some like new paradigm for those places in terms of booking and being like, we want to book with y'all because we know that every the, it's regulated by the state that you have to have the vaccine to go in here. Yeah. Do you think it's going to shut down again? What's kind of your gut feeling? I don't know. I think that there's a will, there's a way. I mean... I, you know, this mentality we're having on this show, the the fuck it, we're doing it live kind of thing. Uh, (laughs) it's literally because I'm working on a production company right now and everybody's working on a production company right now is getting destroyed in terms of work. Like, and it's not from a place of people are getting abused with work or anything like that. It's just, there's so much 
to work. do. Yeah. And all these too techs much and audio engineers and lighting engineers and, you know, backline people and everyone involved in it is like, we cannot turn it away because what if it goes away? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, if, you know, next week they go, well, we're shutting down again because of Delta, you know, I'm going to be glad I have my overtime check. And that's what I see a lot of these people doing, which actually we can talk about that too, is the burnout from a lot of these people is insane. Yeah. From the entire, the whole system is extremely stressed right now. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you personally, I, I feel like are, are stressed too. Cause well, I mean, I mean you see it, just you, part of it. you work at first hand. So. Right. So it, it's just part of the deal. And in anything in production, it's, you know, we're going to get this done hell or high water. Yeah. There isn't a no. There is know? that mentality. And I feel like that's always been there, especially with techs because like, especially good techs, you guys work so hard. Right. It's just like, like if this doesn't work, we're going to go to plan B, plan C. And then at the end of the night, you might be in plan F, but it happened. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what the mentality is with a lot of these engineers and live people and venues in general too. It's just like, we had such a terrible year and it's a negative thing, but a lot of people think of it as like, well, we just have to be lucky that we have this now, even though it's extremely tiring, even though it's, you know, all over the place. Still kind of up in the air. Right. It's better than nothing. It's kind of yeah. thing. But I am worried for a lot of, a lot of people in this industry when it comes to that, because I, well, first off, if you're, if you're like not in this side, like the live side and you want to learn, there are people that will take you up right now. <laughs> I'm not even joking. There, there is a huge, we, in the United States, we already have a giant labor shortage and then the music industry that's already super taxed right now because everybody wants to be on a show. It's even worse. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing with uh, every, every person's job is so essential. Right. So if you're interested in that space, this is the time when I first got in, I was in during like the festival boom, which is the same reason that I got to do a bunch of things because they just needed people. Yeah. Same thing now. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things where I, if you're an artist or you're, you know, working with these technical people, it's at the end of the day, there's in positions in the music industry that are more like salesmen that are less technical. There's another salesman. But sometimes when you get to a venue, there's one audio guy, there's one lighting guy, there's one, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And you could get another guy to come in here, but they don't know the system as fast enough to get up on it and everything. So like, yeah. that's why it's like hard. Well, do you for, think also pay is, is a problem in the music industry? Pay for is that a problem stuff? in the United States in general, but like, and pay is a problem specifically in the music industry because I always joke with pay is that in the music industry, there's a lot of cool points that are yeah. put towards you. So it's like, you're getting paid this amount of money and we know it's low, but you have cool points because your job is like cool. Because if you go tell like, you know, Mark, the accountant that, you know, that you work in the music industry, that's cool. Isn't that worth Mark, the going to be like dope, right? It's like you, <laughs> you know, it's like, but I don't know why that's really obscure. I was about to be like, you know, Mutt Lang, the producer, and I, I don't know him, but I was like, why would he be that specific? Uh, anyway, no, that's, that would be really, if, if there's like some accountant out there, that's like, dude, Mutt Lang is my thing. I was like, I want to meet this person. That doesn't sound like a real man. Anyway, what I'm saying about the pay is like, it's it's really, it it, it really does have that double standard of being like, well, you went into this career because it's like your passion. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, 
you feel, I, I feel like there's a sentiment where it's like from society, you now have to pay the tax of having low money because you went into something you enjoy. Yeah. In the same way that if you're, you know, an artist, like a, you know, a painter. I I would say, yes, you enjoy, but I would also say the work is almost double what a normal job is, depending, I guess, on your position. Well, I think, you know, I was told at a very young age when it comes to this stuff, it's like, if you don't like it, get out now. Like, that's kind of the thing. And so even though I'm working my tail off, and a lot of people I know are working their tail off. They feel it, but if it was like they were fe- they didn't like it, they would not even come close to that. Yeah, they would leave. Yeah, they would be out of there. And so the mentality from a lot of those people, like I said, is just let's get through it. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. And hopefully there will be a light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing because it's one of those things that traditionally in the markets of live entertainment, you have a bump in the summer. That's your like main season. And then fall is like, okay. And then Christmas usually goes down a little bit. You'll have a couple and of then, Christmas shows or something. Yeah, and, and then, then January, there's like a Christmas rush. And yeah. then like January, February and like early March, you're just kind of chilling. Mm-hmm. There's not much to do. Nobody's, yeah. You know, think of the concerts you went into in January. You know what I mean? It's not, it's I went not to like maybe list. one. Right. So everyone's at the gym getting their, you know, (laughs) their new life together after New Year's. Anyway, but like that's kind of the vibe of it. So people are hoping, especially a lot of people that are really overworked in this industry who, you know, for lack of a better alternative, can't have any help really without trying to train somebody while you're also working super heavy. It's one of those things where we're like, okay, maybe fall will go down in orders and like, you know, or maybe fall will go down in shows and Christmas. Maybe that'll happen again. But as we've covered on the show, it doesn't seem that way. Yeah. It seems like because of the venue shortage and stuff that we've talked about, the demand is just going to, the demand is so big, but I'm, I'm curious because here's the, here's the thing we talked about today. It's like, if COVID stopped this again, like the Delta variant went nuts, right? I think right now the Delta variant in terms of demand is actually having an effect of increasing it because people might fear that we might close again. Yeah. So now they're like, oh, shit, we need to get to a right. concert. I feel like if we were, you know, vaccination was going well everything's going good. We're on like track and it's like, yeah, we should be back to like, you know, the news people are like, we're getting back to normal. People would be less likely to want to go to a show because it's not fleeting. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's really interesting to see consumer demand in that way kind of falter maybe. And I I've theorized this on this show that I really do think there will be a huge peak, which we're at right now. And then it'll go for a while and then it'll kind of smooth out. And one of the things with that peak is that you just better hope to God that you, if you're a promoter or a manager, you sold the pre pre-sale tickets now as opposed to later when that peak ends. Now, I don't know when that peak will end. There's a couple of things. I think if the virus rages on and places start closing again, then people are going to be like, no, 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 we have to go. And that's terrible for health reasons. But I think hopefully if we get to like a December, it might just chill out for a minute because holidays and people might 
do more like traveling, going to their families than the concerts, which is traditionally the thing. But who knows? That's the fun part about all this is it's like all up in the air. And, you know, I'm theorizing That's the fun this. part, he says. That, that's <laughs> the fun part is the theory. Uh, but the theorizing of it is interesting. But the people who get it right are the people who are going to make like the extreme amount of money. True. Like, I think around this date, things are going to chill off. Mm-hmm. So like if you were an artist, you're like, I think it's going to chill off. So I'm really going to, let's say, it's going to chill off in, in Thanksgiving. Okay, well, let's just market the hell out of my pre-sale tickets right now. Yeah. Like, just go ham. I don't care. Spend the money. Spend the PR company. Do all this. And then if people have the tickets already, they're way less likely to be like, I'm going to give it up because that requires more effort. They might actually hold on to them. And so if he got that right, let's say this hypothetical artist, and then everything closed down, he made all that money already up front. Mm-hmm. So he's got that to survive on for a while. Yeah. But again, I mean, that's the whole thing with this is that nobody really knows and it's just going to come down to what health professionals think. And then also if the government will actually respond to that. Yep. Which are very two different things. Two different things. Yeah, for sure. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. 
Well, Colin, I want to do something a little different because, I mean, this was kind of a depressing show. I'm not going to lie. How is this a depressing <laughs> show? Well, I mean, we're just talking about COVID again. I well, don't want to do this anymore. It's like the COVID refresher. I know. I just, I hate doing it though. But I want to, I want to talk about like your favorite live show story. Like, what was your favorite live show you've ever been to? Am I like working it or no? I... Just just attending. You're a fan. You're going to it. I'll start. I'll start. With All right. One. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so I went. I think it was like three years ago. I went to the Mill and Mine in Knoxville, which was like a newer venue. Uh, which actually, if you guys don't know Knoxville, Knoxville is not really the the centerpiece of music Hot, and culture. Scruffy. <laughs> it's the the scruffy city, as they like to call it. Um, or as we like to say, Knox Vegas, but that's here nor there. But, um, my favorite band, uh, that my friend Will got me into spoon came to town and me and my whole friend group went and it was like the third time I saw spoon live and I went crazy. I was in the front. I was lip singing the whole time. And Britt Daniel, the lead singer noticed me mm-hmm. and he came over and he was in mid song came over and he goes, what's your name? And obviously, I can't say Joe Wazaleski because, like, how the yeah, fuck is right. he going to no hear one's... my last name, right? So I'm just like, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, dope. And then he's like, this next song's for Joe. And that changed my life, Colin. <laughs> I just I just wanted to share that. I uh, That was my fangirl moment. I was, uh, I was the... Uh, the, that was the hypest day of my life. That was the hypest day. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, for sure. So what about you? What was your favorite concert oh, man, moment? I, did, I, I wasted my time. <laughs> I yield <laughs> my time. Uh, Come you know, on, there's got to be something. You told me you went to uh, see Bob Dylan. Yeah, I did. And that was a weird That was a weird show. We went to Bob Dylan in Atlanta. And I can't remember what the amphitheater was called. But uh, we were... Seeing Bob Dylan, I was like 15 or 16 at the time with like two friends and my father who took us. And uh, when we went, I thought it was just a Bob Dylan show because I didn't buy the tickets. My dad did. And so we went there and it was like a bunch of bands. And we were just sitting there waiting for Bob Dylan. And we're just like, come on. (laughs) And uh, there was some good bands in there. But I was just like, I you know, Wilco starts up and I was like, okay, I didn't come for Wilco. They're cool. But yeah. I was like, where is Bob Dylan? And then I'm like clapping, you know, yeah, all right, Wilco. And then all of a sudden, here is my morning jacket. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I like a couple of my morning jacket songs, but, but this I, isn't Bob Dylan. Yeah. So let's move it on. So, you know, we get through all that. And then Bob Dylan gets up there. This is the period... I believe he re-picked up the guitar. There was about 20 or 30 years where he did not play the guitar on stage. So he gets up there. He's in a jazz trio. It's like him playing piano, a jazz drummer, and a stand-up bass player. And they just played, like, all these songs. It sounded really good, but it was just... It was so weird and, like, intimate, but it, like, shows how much Bob Dylan was good as a songwriter. As a also, how much he doesn't give a fuck, yeah. to be honest. No, doesn't give a fuck. So, and this man was the headliner. Also, weirdly enough... Uh, Bob Weir was there, but he would just like come out and play like a song with the band and then leave. Did so, he do that multiple times? He did that like three or four times. So it'd be like <laughs> Wilco and it'd be like our friend Bob Weir and Bob Weir comes out and he like waves and then he's like jamming on the guitar, plays one song, puts the Les Paul down, walks off stage and I'd be like, oh, okay. I guess he must have just like been here randomly mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, Jim Jeffrey <laughs> and not Jim Jeffries, that's the comedian, but like my morning jacket is like, 
our friend Bob Weir. And I'm like, okay, you can't pull it twice. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you cannot pull it. And he did that like one or two more times on that show. And I was just dying. So I just kept the next day being like, all right, our friend Bob Weir <laughs> every, every time. And it's always funny. Cause I, I, I like to pull that out on shows. It's just like randomly when you have the voice of God in front of house, you can just do the stupidest shit. Ever. Our friend Bob Weir yeah, exactly. here <laughs> and exit in. Right. And here he is. And then people just look around for no reason. Yeah. Well, Bob, if you're listening, we appreciate you. I'm sure Bob's listening. Uh, <laughs> but up next, uh, you guys can hear our uh, friend Bob Weir coming in. Right. Exactly. How you doing, Bob? Yeah. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening to The Biz Tape, your all things music, business, and media podcast. Really appreciate it. You can follow us on our socials at The Biz Tape pretty much everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, wherever you like. We also have our regular episode every week, so check us out every Wednesday. And yeah, I mean, you guys are awesome if you're listening to this, right? Ha, you thought I went away. Anyway, thank you so much. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.